People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. The action just does not stop. We're already on to game week 37 in the Premier League. Just two games to go for each of the teams and plenty to play for at the top and bottom of the table. Here to help inform your predictions and uncover the value ahead of the upcoming fixtures is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. How's it going, Jake? Yeah, very well. Just trying to get a break from all this football, but it's relentless. <laughs> and we can't complain. It doesn't stop. And I'm, I'm sure when it's over, we'll be we'll be wishing it was back. But... As I said, I think we've got five, six games to go in part one of game week 37. So are you ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. Some good games in game week 37. First up, we've got Norwich versus Burnley. And I did just say we're going to have some some good games. Maybe not this one. Um, it was another game, another defeat. And once again, no goal scored for Norwich in their recent fixture against Chelsea. I think it was always going to be a struggle for them to survive when they came back with, with eight games or how long left to go. But... They're still on the same points now as they were back then and just one XG per game going forward, nearly two XG against over the 36 games that have been played this season. It's it's a process of a team that doesn't deserve to be in the Premier League. As as harsh as that sounds, you, you, you can't really argue with it. Burnley, meanwhile, have just have lost just once in the last 14 games. Before that run, there was talk potentially of them dropping into this relegation fight, but they were soon well clear of that. They get results, but I hate to say it, they're, they're probably the most boring team in the league to watch. And that obviously doesn't really matter to them when they're racking up points. It's proven by their, their last six results. They've seen three one ones and three one nil wins. Um, and we could even be on for something similar here. The market thinks that Burnley will get the win. They're on the road, but they've got a 43% chance of the win with odds of 2.24. Norwich are priced at 3.49, so a 28% chance for them to get their first win in eight games. And you can also get the draw at 3.36, which is around a 29% chance. The goals total could be lower. It's it's not two, but it's split at two and 2.5. And the, the market is pushing it towards the over. I think everyone will have this down as a, a low score in Burnley win. But is there more to it than that, Jake? Um, no, I think that that's probably fairly accurate. Um I think the fact that Burnley will probably win this game is the the value bet of um, of this match. Um, like you said, Norwich have been pretty atrocious all season long. They've performed like a championship team, um, and you know since the restart, they've looked resigned to that. Um, it's almost like their fate had been sealed prior to the break. <clears throat> the way they've come back, they've not really put any good performances in whatsoever. Um, they pushed uh, Watford fairly close in 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 the away match. Against uh, at Vicarage Road, they won the XG battle that day, but that was pretty much curtains because they had three winnable games: Brighton, Watford, and West Ham back to back to back. All teams that were just directly above them, um, and they lost all three with um, you know pretty much, especially two of them with with a bit of a whimper. Um, attacking issues continue to re- remain, and um, against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge Tuesday night, 
one of the worst performances I think we've seen from Norwich this season. They racked up just two shots equating to 0.06 expected goals, so two efforts from uh, long distance or tight angles. Allowed around 2.77 expected goals um, to Chelsea that day. So they were flattered by the 1-0 uh, result. Obviously, uh, the manager came out afterwards, Fark, and said that he was happy with what he'd seen, that his team had put in more effort, more fight. But, um, you know, it was just yet another game in which they shipped a load of good chances and, and created very little for themselves. And that has been the case over the course of the season. Average just one expected goal per game, um, allowed 1.9 expected goals against per game. Um, and although... Prior to the break, they were sat at around 17th in our expected goals table. They have now fallen down to 19th. So um, results since the break mean that they now are very deserving of their place in the bottom three. Um, they've actually got the worst expected goal difference now in, in the league, which means that they've got the worst underlying process. Obviously, we've seen improvements from Aston Villa and West Ham, who previously held those, that title. So they are now one of the worst, if not the worst team in, in the Premier League. And it, given the way they've been playing, the fact that they've not been scoring... Um, many goals at all. I think, you know, since the restart, especially, they've, they've barely barely scored I think just the one against Watford. So um, it's hard to make a case for them here. They look bereft of confidence and uh, low on ideas and low on motivation as well. I mean, the players are just getting, wrapping their heads around the fact that they're going to be playing championship football again. And we all know how difficult it is to get out of the championship. Um, so having to do that again is going to be extremely difficult. Burnley, they're on an exceptional run of form. Um, one defeat in the last 14, which, you know, that is it's really impressive when you factor in that um, since the break, they've been without key players. Uh, obviously, Ben Mee is going to be out for the season. Ashley Barnes is going to be out for the season as well, or the remainder of the season. They've missed the last couple of games. Chris Wood has returned, but they've also seen a lot of players like Jeff Hendrick, um, Aaron Lennon, leave the club through contracts expiring. So what they've done since the break has been nothing short of um, exceptional. Like we said, they've been a little bit fortunate in some of those results. Very binary, a lot of one nils, a lot of one ones. Obviously, the five nil defeat in uh, in there uh, in the first game back against Manchester City was really the uh, the main reason why you're getting Burnley at such a big price. Really, throughout the restart, I mean, you know, after that game, they played Watford. They were around three to one at home to Watford. Then they went to Palace again. They were around three to one uh, home to Sheffield United, just above two to one. Um, Away at West Ham, they were closer to four to one, um, and obviously at home to Wolves, they were nearly four to one as well. So you're getting massive prices on this Burnley team that are showing their their, their stubborn colours once again. That's one thing that Burnley always have: um, desire, determination, willing to put the bodies on the line. Um, and obviously, a late penalty got them a draw against Wolves. Keep that um, you know that that good run of form going. Uh, but in the end, it was a fair result. 1-1, given the fact that they limited Wolves to just 1.35 expected goals. So uh, there's a lot to like about Burnley moving forward. Uh, over the course of the season, they've been very solid mid-table club, averaging 1.38 expected goals for, 1.5 against. Um, and, you know, they, they, they've got nothing to play for themselves, like Norwich, but they seem to be finishing the season with a bit of a flourish and, and wanting to pick up as many points as possible um, and, and climb the table. I mean... Two, with two games left, they're still in with a chance of, of finishing sixth. It's a very, very slim chance, but um, it could still happen. And this is a pretty good game for them to get to get a win that could see them leapfrog the likes of, of Arsenal and maybe Sheffield United. So, um, like I said at the top, I think this this, this gives a decent price and offer for, for a Burnley win. It's probably going to be a narrow one, but 
their added desire and, and that bit of extra quality um, that they do have in attacking areas, the likes of McNeil, Rodriguez, Chris Wood. I think they'll be too strong for, for Norwich. And uh, the model goes around a 46% chance of, of a Burnley win. I think they're around 2.25, 2.3 on the market, which is around a 43% chance, which is a decent amount of value there, um, especially as they're playing a Norwich team that look completely um, down and out at the moment. What we have seen as well from Norwich, especially at home, has been a couple of really heavy defeats. So if you fancy Burnley to rack up the scoreline, um, you're getting a good price on that. Over two and a half, 46% chance, uh, slightly odds against. The model goes around 50 50. Um, both teams to score a little bit heavier on the market, 53% um, and 54% on the on the model. But for me, the main play is just to get Burnley on side in this one, backing them to win at a, a decent price. Well, I don't think much can be added to that assessment of the game. But one interesting thing to think about now with Norwich uh, going down, and we know that's confirmed, they have got, as, as bad as they've been, they've got some talent in their ranks and... I mean, if you go back to September, you're probably valuing Timo Pukki at 50 million, but he's obviously dropped <laughs> off the cliff. Um, but in, in their team, I mean, the likes of, I mean, Buendia is probably the, the standout performer, um, but they have got Max Ahrens and, and Bed Gon- Ben Godfrey, Todd Cantwell, potentially just English talent. I think that's bumping up his value. But do you see anyone that could utilise someone like Buendia and, and snap him up off Norwich? Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of suitors for for quite a few of the players. But one thing that I would be wary of is that is, is they haven't really adapted very well to the Premier League this season. Um, none of the players really. I mean, he said there, Pookie knocked in a few goals early doors, but he was always going to slow up as the season progressed because they were you know massively overperforming his expected goal numbers. Um, I, I think that it would probably do these players good having another season in the Championship. Um, get the confidence back because you know they, they've they've really been knocked for six um, this season. Losing every week is is a you know you get stuck in a rut and it's really difficult to get out of that. We have seen it with other teams that have gone down to the championship. For example, your likes of Stoke and Huddersfield that are now really struggling at the bottom wrong end of the, of the championship table. Um, you know your likes of Bolton that have gone back to back. So it, you know it, that has a massive knock on effect on the on a player's psyche, and I think that. That's worth bearing in mind, but from an individual talent standpoint, it's a very. There are some very talented young players there. Um, obviously, I like both the right back and the left back, Aaron's and Lewis. You mentioned Godfrey there. He he could be a good fit for um, you know a team at the bottom bottom end of the of the Premier League table. Um, not too sold on Todd Cantwell just yet personally, but I do like the look of Wendia. I think that he could do a job for someone like a like an Everton. Um, so there, you know, they, I think that they will probably. It's quite funny, isn't it? Because we're talking about Norwich uh, and their individuals. They're going down their bottom of the table, but no one ever talks about Sheffield United's individual quality um, uh, because you know they're almost seen as as lesser than um, or lesser players than than what Norwich have got. Yet yeah, Sheffield United are up there in eighth. So um, it, I think it's a difficult one to weigh up. There are a couple of players that I probably would sign from from that Norwich team, but I think there's a reason why they're bottom of the table. Right, Bournemouth versus Southampton's next up and Bournemouth really are just running out of time. Just just two fixtures left and they're, they're going to have to win both and, and hope other results go their way if they're to be in the, the Premier League next season. They've got like, I think it's fourth or fifth worst defensive process in the league, but somehow, some way, they actually managed to limit Manchester City to 0.5 xG. I don't have the figures to hand, but that's got to be the lowest XG figure that, that City have managed for quite some time. Um, 
as an impressive a feat as, as that is, that they still lost the game, um, that's not going to help them. I guess if they can replicate that performance, then they've got a good chance against Southampton. But the Saints are unbeaten in five, three draws in a row now. They deserve much more from the game against Brighton, 2.53 XG to 0.82, and, and that's normally good enough to get three points. They'll obviously want to keep that good form going, head into next season, and maybe with a, a bit of luck on their side, they could be a side to to look out for for a push for the Europa League, I think, potentially next season. I know it's win or bust for Bournemouth. It's it's still surprising to see them posted as favourites for this, though, for me. Odds of 2.41 give them a 40% chance to win. Southampton are 2.86, so a 34% chance for them. And the draw is at 3.57, which is 26% chance. Um, Bournemouth normally struggle at the back. They they still hold this reputation as a, a strong attacking unit, despite a poor season in front of goal. Southampton are pretty balanced in both departments, and, and that seems to be enough to push the total up a bit. Pinnacle is on 2.5 and 3 at the moment, 50-50 split, but the over is taking the bulk of the action at the moment. So what do you reckon for this one? Can, can Bournemouth keep those survival hopes alive, or, or is the value always Southampton? Um, I think this is a massively intriguing game. Not only is it crucial for Bournemouth, but it's also a bit of a derby, and I'm pretty sure that Southampton would love to relegate Bournemouth. Um and you know, the other reason it's so intriguing is the fact that, that Bournemouth recently have shown or have all of a sudden turned up. I don't know what, what, what's been said. I don't know what's happened. But, you know, that ever since the, the Manchester United game, they lost 5-2, but they created nearly two expected goals in that match. Since then, they've won the XG battle in all three matches against Tottenham, Leicester and Manchester City, which is, um, you know, an incredible feat, really. And they're unfortunate not to come away with, with nine points from those three games. Uh, that's how good their performances were. Um. I don't know whether whether that will continue, whether it's just a little small good run of form. But if they can do that against the better teams, I don't see why they can't do that against Southampton also, um, which I think is probably factored into the price a little bit as well. Um, I, don't, I honestly don't know where this run's come from, this this little mini run of, of an improved process, because prior to that game, they'd been absolutely woeful against Crystal Palace, Wolves and Newcastle. So it has come out of the blue a little bit, the the fact that Bournemouth are now creating good chances. As you said, they, they limited Manchester City to just 0.6 expected goals um, on Wednesday night, which is an incredible feat, really, for a team that's, that was averaging close to three expected goals per game since the restart. Um, and they created plenty of chances themselves, 1.9 expected goals. They obviously had a goal ruled out from Josh King, who was uh, a toenail offside. Um, so that there are a lot of positives for them to take into this game. Like you said, it is pretty much um, win or bust. Obviously, we, we, we're recording this on the Friday night. Uh, Friday and West Ham Watford play on the Friday, so we're not shoot too sure of the outcome on that game, which will obviously have a bearing on this. But if if one team does win that game, then all of a sudden a win for Bournemouth in this match would, you know, that, that would bring them right back into the mix, given the fact that Watford and West Ham both play uh, the Manchester clubs in their next, two, uh, next fixtures. So um, it is win or bust, I think. I do quite like the chances in this game, to be honest, and the model does as well. We we, we have not got them uh, as a value pick, but from a, a price perspective, we think that they're priced up around about right, given um, given the circumstances. And um, yeah, over the course of the season, they've been pr- pretty much one of the worst teams in the in the league. Um, they sit uh, the recent performances have lifted them up to fifteenth in our expected goals table, um, which is based on expected points. So they've picked up quite a few expected points from the last three matches. Um, that over the course of the season they've been in and around the bottom three all, all season long, and then all of a sudden they've 
look to have found a little bit of something from uh, absolutely nowhere. One thing that is going for them in this game is, is that at home they haven't been bad this season. Average 1.4 expected goals for per game, 1.6 expected goals against uh, per game, which which is, the, again, the 15th best uh, XG process, so not not quite bottom three. If you compare that to their away form, where they've been pretty tragic, averaging nearly two expected goals against per game, they are much better at the vitality. But unfortunately for them, they're playing um, a Southampton team here who are fantastic travellers and, and you know they've shown all season long that they, they can pick up results um, away from home. They've been on a good run themselves since the restart. Southampton, I think it's just just was it one defeat against um, Arsenal, three draws back to back, and three wins from their seven matches. So a really good restart from their perspective. Um, and you know, if you look at the the expected goal numbers in those matches, they've won the XG battle uh, in five of those seven matches, including at Old Trafford. Um, and you know, in in that one one draw against Brighton, we saw all the good things that that we have come to to see from Southampton, which is creating plenty of good chances uh, on you know pretty much a regular basis. I think Che Adams' miss was probably the main reason why they didn't kick on and win that game. Uh, I think he had around a 70% chance of scoring his chance in, 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 in that match. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of positives um, for Southampton as the end of the season. We've spoke about them in glowing terms all season long, really. The fact that they have uh, performed as one of the best teams in the league. This is eighth in our expected goals table. Um, according to the expected points that they've collected. Uh, that's above the likes of Sheffield United, Tottenham, um, Arsenal, Burnley. So they're in good company. And, and like you said, they're in a pretty good place really to kick on um, next season and, and potentially gate crash that top seven. Uh, like I said, it's, they're away from home. They're excellent. They've picked up 28 points from 18 away matches, which is the, the fifth most in the, in the division. Um, and the process on the road is by far and away better than, than, uh, what they've produced at St Mary's. They're averaging 1.64 expected goals for per game, 1.57 against. Um, you know, you just have to see those figures and, and, and that tells you all you need to know about Southampton, that, that chances at both ends is usually what we uh, what we tend to see from them. So I don't expect this to be any different. It's gonna, I think it's going to be wide open. Obviously, Bournemouth need the win. Um, they Usually when they play attacking expansive football, Bournemouth, they leave themselves very exposed at the back and Southampton do have the quality with the likes of Danny Ings um, to, to cause issues and, and score goals. So I think I think we could be in for a, a bit of a um yeah, a bit of a gung-ho performance from both teams really, which should lead to goals. Both teams to score, marginal value, it's very short on the market, around sixty-two percent. Uh, the model's at sixty-four percent. The bet I like is is the over two and a half. Uh, 57% on the market, so still yeah, odds on around uh, 1.68. Uh, the model goes 63%, so we're, we we do quite like the over 2.5 in this game. And, and like I said at the top, the, the, the 1x2 prices are pretty much banging in line with what the model says, 40% chance of a Bournemouth win, 40% on the market. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think this is going to be a really entertaining game. An early goal would be perfect for this match. Either way, really, because um, I think Southampton, they're playing, even though they've got nothing to play for, they are playing like they they have something on the line. So um, I'm, I'm expecting a, a bit of a thriller. Right, we've got Tottenham versus Leicester next, and we've had a bit of a dig at Tottenham. I should say I've had a bit of a dig at Tottenham over the past couple of weeks. Um, when you look back at the results and the fact that they've only lost once um, in the last eight with four wins and three draws in, in addition to one loss, it... It might be seen as a little bit harsh, but 
I think it's probably to do with high expectations they've had and given that it's it's over a year now that they've been struggling I think maybe another six months of poor performances and mixed results those high expectations might begin to to drop away they did do enough to get the win against Newcastle it wasn't really convincing they put up 1.67 xg to Newcastle's 1.28 so just about a fair result for for a win and, and obviously the last minute goal kind of flattered them a little bit in terms of the scoreline um Leicester they're another team that I mean just doing enough is probably a good phrase for them as well they're just clinging on to that top four spot a, a really big win and a what looked like a decent performance when you look at the the, the data from that 2.81 xg and I mean it it looks good to be honest when you watch the game I think it was also a lackluster Sheffield United side and how much of that was Leicester making them look poor I, I don't really know um, but they can't really afford any more slip-ups if if Manchester United and Chelsea keep winning and no matter what happens now, it's it's probably going to go down to that final game of the season. The market is pretty even, but edging towards Tottenham and giving them a 41% chance of victory with odds of 2.37. Leicester's odds of 3.12 give them a 31% chance and the draw is 3.47 or 28%. Betters aren't expecting this one to be a thriller. Money's coming in on the under 2.5, so potentially one where Leicester maybe play it safe and then push on a little bit later in the game. I know you've been baffled by some of Tottenham's prices in recent weeks. Is it is it the same here or do you think this one's fairer than what we've seen before? I still think Tottenham are too short. Um, I think that, what do you say, they're around a 2.4, 2.45. I think 2.6 would probably be fairer, bring Leicester into around a, a 2.9. I don't think it's as, um, I, don't, I don't think Leicester should be priced up at 3.1, even though they have been very inconsistent and very up and down with the performances and results. Um yeah, Spurs are a bit of a funny team themselves at the moment. They seem to be doing enough just to win matches. And I think that's probably what we're going to see from them under Mourinho as, as we progress into the next season. Looks like he's just setting up his team to to be hard to beat and, and hope that the likes of Kane and, and Son and Mora and Deli Ali when he's back can grab him a goal because they are, you know, pretty decent finishes, those lots. So I think that's exactly what we saw at Newcastle. They were basically nowhere. They weren't in the game um, uh, until Hyun-Min Son scored. Very low probability chance from outside the box. And then all of a sudden Spurs had Newcastle exactly where they wanted them, which was Newcastle having to attack to get an equaliser. Um, and then obviously Harry Kane does the damage with, with two goals. So very interesting. Um, they're very underwhelming really on the eye test, uh, but very effective when it comes to the actual uh, results, obviously, and and the taking of chances whether that will continue or not is is you know another a, a different matter but um yeah like you said it, they're on a decent run of form at the minute with just the the, the defeat against Sheffield United being the, uh, the the only major blip really um on on the copy card given the fact that they were severely outplayed in that game uh, and they did have a bit of bad luck from a, a VAR perspective in there as well so that's the only um, only blot on the copybook. I think that the, the draw at Bournemouth now, given the way that Bournemouth have played the last couple of matches against Leicester and Manchester City, doesn't look like a two like such a bad result. Uh, obviously, the performance was still well below par, but there are signs there now that that Spurs are heading in the right direction. Um, I mean, you look at the XG table since Mourinho took charge, and it still doesn't make for great reading. They sit tenth in the XG table. Picked up the 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 tenth most points in the in the the league expected points. Sorry, since the re, uh, since Mourinho came in, which was 
think 20th of November or 23rd of November was his first game at West Ham. Um, the process in that time has been 1.48 expected goals for 1.54 against. So still a negative process in the 24 matches since Mourinho took charge. And um, although that, you know, obviously you look at the actual points that they picked up, 41 points from 24 games, uh, which has them fourth in the table in that time. So results have been coming for Mourinho, whether they've been, um, you know, there's, there's been a massive overperformance mainly uh, in defence where they've conceded 37 expected goals um, and uh, only 29 goals. So an eight, eight goal swing there. Um, whether that continues or not, it, it remains to be seen. They are still way, compl- way behind the likes of City, Liverpool um, and, you know, even Manchester United and Chelsea who have put on really good sustained um, runs of form and, and underlying numbers throughout the course of the season. So there's a lot uh, to to improve on at Spurs, but recent performances would suggest that they are turning a little bit of a corner. But for me, I'm still not buying into them at this price uh, against a team like in Leicester who, um, you know, have performed much better than them all season long. Um, you know, they were really impressive against Sheffield United. Sheffield United obviously just beaten Spurs, Wolves and Chelsea in the last three, uh, in the last four matches. And, and Leicester made real, just mince meat of them. They were brilliant all over the pitch. I was a little bit worried when I saw the lineup. Like I said on the podcast, the fact that they were playing with a, a back five, um, but they looked a, little, a lot more balanced when they had the the natural left footer, um, young Thomas, playing on, on the left wing back. Looked a lot more balanced, um, and obviously Sionchu didn't play, but I thought Wes Morgan was a perfect um, replacement for the game against Sheffield United, where the Blades do play with two real. Um, you know, powerhouses up front, McGoldrick and McBurney and Morgan's the perfect player to play against them. Um, whether that'll be the case in this match remains to be seen because Harry Kane's got a lot more in his locker than those two um, two strikers. But nonetheless, still been pretty positive from Leicester. It is, you would say, must-win game, really. But, um, you know, I think... It's going to come down to that final day, whatever happens. If Leicester don't win, then obviously you know, the ball's in Man United's court. They can go to the King Power and, and play for a draw. If they do win, um, then they can play for a draw themselves, which is always dangerous. Um, but I think that they want, they'll want a little bit of momentum heading into that final match. The issue I have with them is that uh, away from home, they have struggled really since the restart. Um, I think they, they yeah lost to Everton, although they were pretty impressive after going 2-0 down. Uh, drew with Arsenal, but... They were not in the game until the, um, the sending off for Eddie Nketiah um, and then obviously capitulated against Bournemouth. So um, I would like to see them pick up, put in a decent away performance in this match, whether they'll get a, a win or not, not too sure. But the way they have been playing, um, especially at, at, at home, means I've got a little bit of confidence in them still making the top four. Not a lot, just a little. Um, yeah, they, they have players that can really hurt Spurs. Um, obviously, it's a different Spurs team. Under Pochettino, they play with a high line, a high press. Under Mourinho, they're playing with a low line and, and basically no press. So there's going to be it's going to be difficult for them to break Spurs down, um, given Vardy likes to, to, to spin in behind. There's going to be a lot of coming to feet. 
Um, and, you know, he, he did look like a really good facilitator against Sheffield United. He, he put quite a few big chances on a plate for the likes of Barnes and obviously Gray with the goal. So he's going to have to do that again in this match. Um, and Leicester are going to have to get bodies in and around him. So it's going to be an intriguing game, this. Um, a little bit of a clash of styles, possession-based football versus counter-attacking football. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I think the other thing to factor in is that um, although Leicester's away results haven't been great uh, all, all throughout the season, they picked up 25 points from uh, 18 away matches. The underlying process has been extremely strong, fourth best in the league. Um, sorry, third best in the league. Uh, they picked up the fourth most expected points. So they shouldn't be written off just because they're away from home. The process is, is being excellent. 1.9 expected goals for, 1.4 expected goals against. So they do like playing away from home. But like I said, this clash of styles makes it um, even more intriguing. The model does quite like Leicester um, to get the win. We make Leicester favourites on, on the Infocore model, so almost flipped what the market is suggesting. We have Leicester at around 2.4 um, to get the win, so there's obvious value in backing the Foxes. But again, if you can get them onside in any way, I, I would do that, whether that be a double chance or, or plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap. Because um, I, I do think that they will, at the very least, score against Spurs, and, and both teams to score looks a, a pretty decent bet at the prices, around 1.75. Um, the model gives it around a 61% chance compared to the 55%. I do quite like both teams to score. Overs also makes a bit of, a, of appeal, looking at um, Spurs' most recent matches. Obviously, the 3-1 at Newcastle, no one really thought it would be so high scoring against a, a defensive-minded Newcastle team. Um, I think it's around 50-50 on the market. Can't make its mind up. 59% on the model, so over 2.5. But for me, I, I would try and get Leicester on side in this game as a best bet. Two questions for you, Jake, and the first one, yes or no answer. I think I know what it's going to be after what you just said. Do Leicester make the top four? Um, I'm, it's, it's much more difficult than yes and no. I think there's a lot of stuff that, that to be factored in. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have the huge beneficial, um, or the, you know, they're going to be massive benefits of, of a much longer rest period ahead of the game against Manchester United. Obviously, United play in the FA Cup this weekend and then have to play on Wednesday and then Sunday. Leicester playing Sunday to Sunday, so they've got a week's rest, which will uh, be massive for them. Obviously, Chelsea play um, on the FA Cup also and they play midweek against Liverpool. Uh, it, it still really is up in the air. The, the Infocom model hasn't changed its view based on um, on results this week. Obviously, all three of the teams winning. So we still make Chelsea as around 74% favourites. Man United in second at around 68 and Leicester at around 55. So it really is anyone's game. Um, it, it's going to come down to that final game, whatever happens. I think that, like I was saying to you um, just before we started, the it, it could, we could have a really intriguing um, final day in the sense that it could be all over if Chelsea lose, lose to Liverpool, Leicester and United both win with the superior goal difference of, of Leicester and United. A point for, for both would be enough to see them get in the top four and they might just shake hands before the match and take the draw. So you've got all sorts of scenarios that could happen. Um, even if Leicester lose to Tottenham and Manchester United win, Leicester would still have a, you know, depending on the goal swing, they would still have a goal difference advantage um, and you know they would still have to beat Manchester United, but they would a win would likely see see them through. So, it, yeah, it's really hard to to determine. I think if this if the final game was at Old Trafford, I think I'd be very confident about Manchester United. But because it's at the King Power and and, and that's where Leicester have had most of their success um, recently, I, I do I do feel like it is much more uh, open than that. So, I, I'm I'm 
you know, if, if you put me on the spot, yes or no, I'm going to say no. I think Manchester United will prove too strong. Um, and I, they, they, I think out of those two, Man United will prove too strong, but there's every chance that Leicester could still finish above Chelsea, depending on uh, results over this next week. And my second one was maybe slightly more difficult to answer, but if you had to guess where where Tottenham finish next season, where where would you put them? Yeah, a little bit more difficult to answer that one, <laughs> given the uh, um, you know Mourinho badgering for for players and and money and recruitment. It, I think that that determines um, quite a lot of this answer. I still think that I think Wolves will still be better than Spurs. Um, I think Leicester will strengthen if they get Champions League, especially they'll be able to attract better players. I think they'll be better than Spurs still. So I'd probably still have Spurs outside the top seven, outside the top six, um, based on XG numbers that we've seen under Mourinho. That could change with a few um, big signings. Perhaps they need to strengthen their midfield areas for sure. Uh, they need a probably do need another left back. Um, but yeah, as it stands going into next season, I still see them finishing outside the top six. Right, now we've got Brighton versus Newcastle. Brighton picked up a point against Southampton. We said it was a little bit fortunate to to get that and they're still not mathematically guaranteed safety, but I think for all intents and purposes, they're, they're safe now. But prize money does make a big difference to, to clubs down the bottom and a, and a club like Brighton. Newcastle, six points ahead in 13th. They, Brighton should really now be looking ahead rather than looking down. For Newcastle, it seems strange to say that after three losses in a row, they're 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 an improved side since the restart. And we kind of mentioned it briefly off air. And you have got to consider the teams that they've they've played there. But their process was because it was so bad for so long, and and they picked up a lot of lucky points earlier on in the season. The the expected points table will still suggest that they should be a lot lower down than than where they they actually are. But that's not going to matter too much to them. There could be concerns about relegation next season, but there could also be a load of new players coming in and, and aspirations of moving up into the top half and beyond, depending on what happens with that that takeover. For this game, though, Brighton are listed as favourites with Pinnacle. Odds of 1.97, so a 50% chance of three points, while Newcastle are 4.29, which equates to a 23% chance of the win. Another one with a lower total than you might expect at 2 and 2.5, especially with Newcastle looking a lot better in front of goal. The over is being favoured, but where do you think the value is in this one? Yeah, I think there's quite a lot of value really in this. Um, Obviously, we've raved about Brighton all season long. Uh, At that price against this Newcastle team, I think that that could be a really interesting play. Um, They're pretty much safe, Brighton. They're not mathematically safe, as you mentioned, but uh, six points clear of both Bournemouth and Aston Villa, their goal difference is at minus 16, Bournemouth's at minus 25 um, and Villa's at minus 27. So there'd be a, there needs to be a serious goal swing um, f- uh, against Brighton for them to, to you know, realistically go down. I, I can't see that happening. And they've got a nice fixture, really, um, against this Newcastle team. Uh, they don't deserve to go down. They've been excellent all season, as we've mentioned uh, pretty much weekly on the pod. Tenth uh, in our expected goals table. Um, so they're, they're a top half team according to expected points um, and the process has been relatively impressive all season uh, and massively improved on last season. So um, there's a lot to like about Brighton moving forward. They're a really smart club, um, very you know, smartly run. Um, they, they do work off some analytics as well, which is um, 
I'm not going to say the only reason, but it's one of the reasons. And and they they have got a really good structure in the club where you've you've got a, a you know a, a obvious succession plan for players and managers where uh, you've got a philosophy in place that uh, managers and, and players fit fit to rather than the other way around, which just makes so much more sense than than sacking managers and changing philosophy with every manager that comes in. And that manager then having three or four different managers, players to, to try and um, coach into his system. So um, I really like what they're doing there as a club, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch. Um, on the pitch, yeah, you said they were very fortunate to get a point at Southampton. I think the fact that they went 1-0 up early probably decided um, to, to sort of sit in a little bit and try and ride the storm. Ultimately got them a point that, like we said, all, all but uh, secures the safety. Um, and, it, you know, it, it was a game against a team that is more at their level in which they picked a point up. So, um, you know, they obviously got hammered by uh, Manchester City at the weekend in what was a dismal performance. And prior to that, lost to Liverpool in what was a, a good performance, but still a defeat. Um, and, you know, the games in which they've, they've picked points up Come against uh, since the restart: Southampton, Norwich, Leicester, um, and, and Arsenal, and, and those sorts of teams are based on expected goal numbers are around the similar caliber to Brighton. So um, no surprise to see them <coughs> picking up a point against Southampton. And this is a sort of game that you would expect them to win, given the the numbers that they posted all season long, especially at home where they have been um, very very strong, for, especially from an attacking perspective. One point four six expected goals for per game. So. Um, there's a lot to like about them heading into this game. Newcastle not really playing for anything. Um, it looks as though they're probably going to finish 13th or 14th. Still a good season for them, given the fact that they were thrown into turmoil at the start of the campaign when Rafa Benitez didn't didn't sign on and, and left the club and uh, and they appointed Steve Bruce, stole him away from my club Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but he, he's done a decent job from a results perspective. I mean, he's, he's kept them in the division, which is all, all that he was probably required to do. But like we've said uh, all season, they've been very fortunate um, for that to be the case based on expected points. Over 36 matches so far, they sit rock bottom of our expected goals table. The process has been one of the worst in the league at 1.1 expected goals for and 1.9 expected goals against. But as we've spoken about in recent weeks anyway, the, 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 the shift from um, a back five to a back four has yielded some success. Um, and, you know, what, what, what does Steve Bruce go and do against Tottenham and against Manchester City? He switches back to a back five and they, and they end up losing the game. So um, a back four, it, it seems to get the best out of them from an attacking perspective. And, and that's when they're at the, they're obviously at the most dangerous. And that's when they're going to pick up points because they're taking the game to two teams. And, and you know, they have got some good attacking players in there. Alan St. Maximan, although he can be frustrating with his, with his uh, output, He's a very good player that can beat a man on his, uh, any man on the day, um, and you know Almiron's like lightning. Joel Linton obviously hasn't worked for him 100% this season, but he's still. Uh, um, uh, I'm expecting him to come on strong next season if he's still around. Dwight Gale's been in the goals. I like the midfield of, of Shelby and Ben Taleb. I think they're very good midfielders in a, in a two. So there's a lot to like about them moving forward. But <clears throat> from an underlying numbers perspective, it hasn't read uh, very well all season long. I think that they will be more attacking in this game. They've got nothing to lose, really. They're playing with quite a lot of freedom. I think we saw that against Spurs as well, where they dominate the first half, even though they ended up going in 1-0 down. Um, and I expect them to have a go at Brighton. Brighton aren't exactly solid at the back themselves. Uh, both teams to score looks like a decent bet to me, uh, around even money. 60% on the model, um, 50% on the market. 
that uh, obviously a big value play. The overs, I'm surprised to see uh, so low. 42% chance of over two and a half on the market. The model goes 61%. So you're getting a huge amount of value there. We think that um, given the, the processes on offer between the, the two clubs that, that we probably will end up seeing goals. But I like Brighton at the prices. Would you say around 1.97? Um, we calculate them at around a 54% chance. So a little bit short at around 1.85. So there's there's a decent value in back in a home win um, and, and goals and Given what West Ham, what sorry, what Newcastle have shown recently, four one against Bournemouth, two two against West Ham, five nil against City, two one against Watford, three one against Spurs. Every single one of those games has gone over two and a half. Um, I think that that's probably a good value bet at the price. Right, let's get on to Sheffield United versus Everton, and I think, admittedly, you have got to give uh, Leicester credit, and you you did say it earlier that they were the better team all over the pitch, and they looked a lot more balanced, but it was still a a poor performance from Chris Wilder's side from what you'd normally expect from them. And, and he didn't really hold back when he, he ripped into them in the post-match press conference as well. Um, still an outside chance of a Europa League spot for them. So they'll want to bounce back. Their process of 1.4 XG4 and 1.5 XG against has them just above mid-table. So they deserve to be where they are. But they are just a couple of good performances away from clinching sort of 6th, 7th. Um, Everton, meanwhile, just continue to disappoint since the restart. I can't remember the stats I had to hand last time, but I know they're averaging under 1xG in the, the seven games or eight games since we've been back. They gave up 1.64 to Aston Villa and they were, well, two minutes and, and probably two centimetres away from losing the game. Um, for this one, Sheffield United are the favourites. They're 2.18 or 45% chance. The draw is 3.42, which is a 28% chance. And Everton gets 27% um, chance of a win with odds of 3.75. This one's difficult for me because overall, Everton's process suggests that, that they're better than Sheffield United, but they haven't been at it recently. Sheffield United have got the added motivation of pushing for Europe. I know the InfoGoal model likes Everton, but does it like them enough to, to see value in them here? It does, yes, but um, I don't. Um, I, the model is, uh, yeah, the model is basically still trying to catch up with how good Sheffield United have been this season. Um, their process has been like you read it out there, one point four, one point five. It's been it's been very solid mid table, not quite that of a top six team. Whereas Everton over the course of the season have performed more like a top six team. Um, although recently they haven't shown that they're performing at one point six to one point four expected goals. So. Um, yeah, the model's finding this really difficult to price up. Interesting as well to see. I had a look at this game yesterday. Um, Sheffield United were around 2.3, 2.4 to win. Uh, they're now into about 2.15, 2.2. So given or after the, the Everton performance, they've shortened up considerably. Um, I, I think that that'll probably continue to happen. Obviously, you have to look at the recent home matches against uh, Spurs, Wolves and Chelsea. Two of those teams much better than Everton. Um, and you know they, they've won all three of those games since the restart. All three home matches they've won, um, and they, they've done so quite convincingly. Apart from the Wolves game, so um, yeah, there's a lot to like about the United in this game. I think they probably are a little bit too short at that, at that price um, for me to be to be back in them. But um, yeah, like I said, the home process all season long has been except, exceptional. One point seven expected goals for, one point two expected goals against per game. Um, you know that that is right up there with um, you know with the best home pro- home processes in the league. I think that has them sixth actually above Leicester. Um, so 
there's a lot to like um, about their chances in this match. As you said, it's a big game for them and their European aspirations. Um, I don't think anyone was expecting them really to go to Leicester and get a win. But the, uh, you know, winning this match would see them um, jump up above uh, Wolves potentially. They play, I think, they play before Wolves, um, and it would keep them um, you know, a point above Arsenal. Uh, and potentially take them above Spurs, depending on how they get on against Leicester on Sunday. So um, it could be a big game in their in their European uh, race. Um, and and you know I think they're playing Everton at a really good time. They've been woeful since the restart. I know they've picked up a couple of wins, but you know they've just I don't honestly don't know what's happened to them from an attacking standpoint. I mean under Ancelotti prior to the break they were averaging two expected goals per game they were one of the best attacking teams in the league uh, I think uh, you know since Ancelotti's appointment up until the break I think there was only Manchester City who'd, who'd racked up more expected goals than Everton so to see them now averaging 0.85 expected goals four per game since the restart is is baffling really and uh, very unusual um, sort of uh, tail off from them um, and defensively, they've, they've got worse as well. They're averaging 1.5 expected goals against per game. Uh, prior to that, they were averaging around 1.2. So we've seen a, a considerable drop-off in levels from Everton, um, levels of performance and underlying numbers as well. They've been, I think, lost the XG battle in, in pretty much all of the matches since the restart, apart from that Norwich game in which they uh, edged to a win. So... Yeah, it's, it's hard to make a case for them. It looks as though they're on the beach. They're not going to finish in the top half and the five points behind Burnley with uh, obviously just two games to go. So it's possible, but I think they'll just be happy to to have saved their, their Premier League status, which was looking um, shaky at one point. So I think Sheffield United could end up running up a um, you know pretty convincing home win again. Everton have not been um, very good travellers all season long. Uh away from home and allowing around 1.4 expected goals against per game. Compare that to uh, 1.2 at home. Um, and they're not as potent on the, on the road either, Everton. Uh, the model is, is liking Everton to win the game. I personally don't. I think that given the circumstances, um, just stay keep your distance from this Everton team. They're, they're extremely poor at the moment and especially away from home where they, you, know, you look at the, the games since the restart on the road. They've I think they played three or four times. Uh, yeah, three times he scored once, racked up just 1.7 expected goals, um, which is an average of around 0.56. So they, they really aren't creating uh, much at all on the road. So from a 1x2 perspective, the model likes Everton. Uh, I personally don't. I think there's a better angle to be had in in potentially looking at the over 2.5 um, where, where the market has that around 2.25, 2.3. The model has it odds on at 52%. So I, I do think the overs could be a play. You look at what Sheffield United did to Spurs and Chelsea, um, creating plenty of good chances and, and taking them. And, and and I think that Chris Wilder was furious. I, I saw his po- uh, post-match press conference after the, the Leicester result, and he was absolutely livid with that performance. And, and there's no way that that they don't bounce back here, at least in the levels um, uh, and, and the sort of... Uh, Willingness to to fight and battle because that's something that we didn't see really against Leicester. So he'll have them raring for this game. I won't be surprised to see um, Sheffield United run up maybe a three 0 win. Obviously, Everton always have the capabilities on the counter attack, and both teams to score could be another angle. There's value in that. Uh, it's around even money on the market. We're at fifty six percent odds on. So um, there is value in getting on side with Everton to score. 
um, just because they, they do have some really good players on the counter-attack and um, you know, especially Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who was formerly a Sheffield United player, may want to have a, um, you know, I think this is maybe his first game back at Bramall Lane, so he might want to have a little, um, I won't be surprised to see him, him get on the score sheet, really, given the um, a club close to his heart. So, Voting score looks uh, looks like a decent bet. I quite like the overs at a, a bigger price, really, um, given what we've seen from Sheffield United in home matches recently, and given what we've seen from uh, from Everton, who, who went down three 0 at Wolves last week. Finally, we got Wolves versus Crystal Palace, and it is our last game for part one of game week thirty seven. Unfortunately for Wolves, I kind of said I, I do I do like Wolves as a, a kind of neutral when they're playing the but the late penalty from Burnley it means that their Champions League qualification race is run. Focus will now be on making sure that they make the Europa League for the second season running, but they have got Tottenham, Sheffield United we've just mentioned, and even Arsenal are still probably in the mix. Crystal Palace, if anything, I, I think they've probably got the most aesthetically pleasing form table in the league. If you, you go back to December, it was four draws in a row, then three losses in a row, then four wins in a row. Now they're currently on a six-game losing streak, still just two goals scored in those six games. Not many are going to fancy them to score against Wolves. I think one thing that's probably flown under the radar a bit is that Wolves actually have the the second best defensive process in the league behind Manchester City. I think a caveat for that is since their recent run and, and Liverpool's drop-off, those two have probably swapped places. So Wolves were really third best defensive process before then. But it still shows that the the level that they're operating at. And I think their attacking process is is good at 1.6 XG4 per game. But if they can build on that even more, then they've got to be down as a real top four contender for next season. For this game, Pinnacle has Wolves at 1.507, so a hefty 65% chance of the win. The draw is 4.11, which is around 24%, and just 12% chance for Palace with their odds of 8.05. Looks like that losing run isn't going to come to an end and and is more likely to continue. Wolves should win this one, um, but is there value in them at a short price, do you think? And the market is heavy on the unders and and betters are still buying into under 2 and 2.5, so... Is there any chance maybe Wolves can grab a few here and it could be one that a few goals could could see value in the over? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that we could see value in the overs. I think that we could see, uh, we should see a Wolves win. Um, they were very unfortunate against Burnley to end up with uh, just a point from that match. They were in total control of the game, went one nil up with a fantastic goal from uh, Raul Jimenez. And then it was obviously a late penalty that, that sort of... Uh, just derailed them really, not the stuffing out of them in the in the chance for or their race for the top four. Um, obviously, Chelsea had won the day before. That draw meant that Wolves couldn't catch Chelsea. Uh, they're now six points behind both United and Leicester with far inferior goal differences. So, top four is out of the question. Um, and like you said, it is now just all about trying to hold on to that sixth spot. They definitely want sixth spot because seventh spot would mean a, another season starting basically as soon as this one finishes uh, in the Europa League qualifying round. So, um, yeah, it's unbelievable, really. Wolves have been playing for over a year now, around just over 365 days uh, since the season last started. Um, and, you know, they're still performing at an extremely high level. Uh, the last home match against Everton was, was they were exceptional defensively and in attack, racked up over three expected goals per game. Uh, sorry, not per game. They racked up over three expected goals at Molyneux. It's only the second time they've done that this season. 
um, and allowed just 0.3 expected goals against um, against Everton. So really impressive signs. Prior to that, they, they edged out Bournemouth in uh, a very comfortable 1-0 win. Um, and they've been pretty solid all season long uh, at Molyneux. A process of 1.75 expected goals for, 1.03 expected goals against. So um, really positive for them. Um, I think they've got they've got an incredible record against the teams in the bottom half of the table. I think that they've they've beaten pretty much mo- uh, most of them down there. Crystal Palace obviously fall into that category after their serious drop off in form. Um, and yeah, I see this as pretty much must win for Wolves, given the fact that they have to go to Chelsea on the final day, and, and that could be a Chelsea team that's still looking to to get a win to secure Champions League football. So um, big game for them, big game. Um, but I think they'll have enough to breach Crystal Palace at least once, maybe even a couple of times, given what we've seen from Palace recently. Um, I thought they were okay for half an hour against Manchester United were Crystal Palace. Um, they had a go, and then as soon as the first goal went in, it, it just sort of fell apart, and United ended up running up um, you know, 2 nil winners, two and a half expected goals. Um, it has been quite obvious, really, that the, the best performances Palace have put in since the restart have come at, at Selhurst Park and not away from home. Away from home, they've been absolutely atrocious. Um, I think obviously, I think they they beat Bournemouth in, in what was a very um, a chance a game of very few chances. Uh, hammered at Anfield, uh, hammered at King Power, um, and then were well beaten by relegation strugglers Aston Villa. Um, the process since the restart has been appalling: one point uh, 0.9 expected goals for, one point nine expected goals against per game. That has them the nineteenth uh, worst team since the restart, and they've been. The 19th worst team according to expected points as well. So really worrying signs. And, um, you know, if that trend continues, then you have to really look at them as a relegation contender for next season. Um, but especially away from home, they've been um, poor since the restart, as I've mentioned, allowing nearly two expected goals against per game, creating just 0.7. That has been the case all season long as well. They've averaged just 0.97 expected goals for per game um, on the road allowing two expected goals against per game. So those trends pre-break have continued post-break and, and it's really hard to make a case for them getting anything from this match. Uh, struggling to score goals, struggling to create chances. I think they've scored just four times since the restart um, and they've, they've not they've failed to score in five of seven matches since that uh, since the break. So it's, it's hard to make a case for them here. I wouldn't at all be surprised to see Wolves run up another big, big home win like they did against Everton. I think... Um, one of Wolves' main issues really is is the fact that they don't kill off matches um, where they, they get into a 1-0 lead and they're so confident in the defensive abilities that they sort of just not switch off, but they, they switch into a defensive mode and, and sort of see the game out uh, 1-0, which is what they tried to do against Burnley. They were very close to doing that, but it ended up costing them uh, two points. Against Everton, they had no such issues because they just kept going, kept going and kept attacking and run up the scoreline quite comfortably. And I think that they're going to have to get used to doing that more often uh, if they are to eventually break into the top four, which I think that they have a good chance of doing uh, next season, depending on transfers. So I think that, they, that they'll rack up a score here, maybe 3-0 again. Wouldn't be a, a massive surprise to me. Both teams to score, obviously, is is a massive um, odds-on sh- uh, no shout. Uh, I think the market market's around 62% chance of both teams to score no Models in agreement, 58% chance of both teams to score no. Um, over two and a half, like you said, is, is, is odds against, 2.3. Um, I think the, the model's around a 51%, so marginally odds on. So if you do fancy a 3-0 Wolves win or a 4-0 Wolves win, 
Um, I, I definitely wouldn't put you off. I think that that's a good, uh, a decent bet. The overs, Wolves to win, uh, short price, admittedly at sixty three percent, but the model goes around sixty nine percent chance of a home win. So there is good value in backing Wolves at a short price. Uh, and again, I wouldn't put anyone off backing them. I think that they're, they're a really good bet against this Palace team that's completely bereft of confidence and coasting to the finish line in the slippers. Well, that's part one of game week thirty seven done. It's a real shame that the games are running out so quick, but there's still a lot to play for, so we should have a good end to the season at least. Nice one for helping our listeners find some value, Jake. I appreciate the time as always. Yeah, thank you, Ben. And thank you to everyone for listening. Remember that if you want to look into the stats ahead of these fixtures, then you can visit infogold.net, follow at Infogold app on Twitter, and download the app on iOS and Android. Anyone who's looking to bet in play on the Premier League or other leagues across Europe can also download the Pinnacle Live Scores app, follow Pinnacle's unbeatable odds during the games and set alerts so you can bet at the price that you want. All of the odds for the upcoming fixtures are available on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets and remember to always gamble responsibly. 